0: Welcome to the Women in Government podcast, whether discussing important issues or policies of the day, this is a place where lawmakers and decision makers unite to get the conversation started.
1: Last year, the National Cancer Institute, or NCI, expected about 1.9 million people to be diagnosed with cancer. Cancer is comprised of more than 100 diseases affecting all population groups in the United States. However, due to social, environmental, and economic disadvantages, a few groups bear a disproportionate burden of cancer. Hi, I'm Mississippi State Representative Omeria Scott, and I am a breast cancer survivor. That's why I'm honored to be hosting the latest Women in Government podcast, disparities in cancer treatment. Joining in on the conversation is Dr. Gary Puckman, PhD and president of the National Minority Quality Forum. The organization's mission is to reduce patient risk by assuring optimal care for all.
2: Thank you so much for the invitation and looking forward to the
1: conversation. We also have Dr. Liza Kuntz, MD, the medical affairs leader at Roche, a global pioneer in pharmaceuticals and diagnostics focused on advancing science to improve people's lives.
0: Thank you so much for inviting me to join in this important conversation. Happy to be here.
1: Before we get started, I want to take a moment to thank you for listening and remind you to like or share our podcast. You can also connect with us by visiting womeningovernment.org. According to the NCI, Blacks have higher death rates than all other racial and ethnic groups for many, but not all, cancer types. Hispanic, Latino, and Black women have higher rates of cervical cancer. American Indians and Alaska Natives have higher death rates from kidney cancer. Those numbers are surprising and hopefully eye-opening to many in the medical community. Dr. Puckrin and Dr. Kuntz, these disparities exist for a reason. So let's break this down. What are the unique barriers that women and Black, Indigenous, and people of color face in accessing screening, diagnosis, and treatment of cancer? Dr. Puckrin,
2: Thank you so much. You know, it's a complex question. The purpose of our healthcare system really is to mitigate patient risk to keep people out of the hospital, keep them from the emergency room, keep them from disability, keep them from dying. And when you approach the healthcare system from that lens, you recognize that it's a collaboration. It's not just the patient or the physician on their own. It's a community. And some of what we see here with these disparities with minority communities is that we really haven't embraced them. The screening numbers have been like that forever, and we have no national initiative, really, to improve those screening numbers. They get diagnosed late for cancer, and as a result of being diagnosed late for cancer, their survival rates are are lower. So we know these numbers, we've known these numbers for a long time, but what we haven't seen is the sense of urgency about them to realize that we all have responsibility here. We just can't say it's the patient and we just can't say it's the provider. It is the community that needs to be in action.
1: And Dr. Kuntz, I'd like to ask you with your background being a gynecologist, and we know that women also suffer from these terrible diagnoses of cancer. What do you think are unique barriers, in particular to women and those that are Black, Indigenous, people of color?
0: Yeah, you know, when I think about this, I really subdivide my thought process into two distinct areas. One are really our social determinants of health, the neighborhoods that people live in, their proximity to healthcare, their ability to find clinicians who may look like them, who they trust, and who will really listen to them when they come with medical complaints. But then when I think about it from my Roche hat, and I think specifically about the diagnostics and treatments, My question becomes, have the trials that are evaluating a laboratory test or a pharmaceutical treatment really been studied in patients like them? 15% of U.S. patients max who participate in clinical trials are non-Caucasian. And when we look worldwide, genomic data is 90% European. The most complete record that we have of genomic studies found that only 2.4% of the individuals included were of African ancestry. So as I see us as a society moving towards more personalized healthcare approaches, I wonder if we're really going to have the right data when we start to make decisions for our patients who are Black, Indigenous, people of color.
1: Once you're diagnosed with cancer, you begin an emotional journey, often feeling shocked, scared, and overwhelmed. And most of the time, people, they don't know really where to begin. And in addition to all of the new stress, certain groups are more likely to encounter obstacles in getting treatment. So Dr. Puckran, I have to ask you, how do we engage with patients as empowered partners in their cancer journeys?
2: I'm going to put my answer directly towards those in government. Because as I said earlier, healthcare care is really a collaboration. And if you think about it for just a little bit, healthcare care policy, legislative policy is part of the healthcare experience, particularly in this country. We have 90 million Americans in Medicaid, 69 million in Medicare. So about 45% of Americans are in government health insurance, about 47% are in commercial. So the legislators have a, an important role to play here in how our healthcare is designed and paid for and accessed. And I think when you start to look at the numbers, you're going to see that we spend less on minority health per capita. Dr. Coons,
0: To engage with patients as empowered partners, you first need to build really a trusting relationship. And that takes a lot more than my medical credentials or my clinical competence. It takes time to forge a connection, to demonstrate my commitment to a patient, and to make sure that I'm communicating with them in a way they understand. It's not just about breaking down information and getting past medical jargon. It's recognizing that patients won't hear news about their cancer journey the first time if they're in shock with regard to the diagnosis. It's bringing family members into the conversation to listen with them if they desire, It's about having patient advocates and navigators so the complexity of the healthcare system is not quite so daunting. A lot of times in private healthcare settings, there are access to those patient navigators and patient advocates that safety net hospitals don't always have. To be their own patient advocates, patients need information to arm themselves and foster trust in themselves so that they can be a part of the care team and not just the focus of it.
1: Clinical trials are used to discover new treatments for diseases. They help researchers learn more about what works and what does not work when it comes to the advancement of medicine. Most recently, clinical trials helped with the development of COVID-19 vaccines. But who are the volunteers and those being invited into new trials? That's something that needs to be discussed. Dr. Puckrin and Dr. Kuntz, what do you think that government should probably try to do to help people so that they can become part of these trials? Because I think that the trial
2: is significant to the treatment. Could you speak to that? The fact that We have underrepresentation in clinical trials. It's not new knowledge. That's been there for a long time. We could, if we want to, put those clinical trials in minority communities and train minority clinicians to be PIs in clinical trials. They are trusted in the community and have access to the patients and they have the experience. And so we can build an infrastructure to take care of those patients insofar as clinical trials are concerned. And understand, because we are not recruiting them in clinical trials, we use clinical trials to write clinical guidelines. Guidelines means how do we take care of a patient who presents with a particular disease. So if the trials are not diverse, the guidelines are not diverse. And then we started to use pay for performance. We want to tell physicians, how to take care of people. And we're doing that as part of legislative policy, right? Government has empowered Medicare and Medicaid to use performance measures to provide care to people. So you start back, the trials are not diverse, the clinical guidelines are not diverse, and the pay for performance measures that get presented are not diverse. And then we're surprised at the outcomes that we're getting from minorities with cancer, We have not taken care of those communities. And I go back to say that legislators can play an incredibly important role here because through the Medicare and Medicaid program, they control the dollars. They control how those dollars get spent and what they get spent on. And so I just encourage them to understand as they are spending those dollars and thinking about it, what is the purpose of the healthcare system? And its purpose is to mitigate risk. And we can't have healthcare policy that elevates risk. And so when we don't put them in the clinical trials and we don't get the guidelines, the performance measures, what we're essentially doing is elevating risk for those patients. And we get what we're paying for. We get those high levels of late diagnosis and poor survival rates. Dr. Coons?
0: I think we have to be much more diverse in where we look for partners in our trials. So we know the top handful of academic medical centers around the country, and they may not be located in the communities where a lot of people of color live. So we need to actually reach out as we're designing those trials from the ground up, look for community trial partnerships, in those communities, and that may have an added downstream impact if we start to do more research in the local communities, those hospitals then will become targets for some of the clinicians who really aim to have research as part of their day-to-day work, working more closely in those communities, and I think you may see a bit of a downstream snowball of an effect of trying to really expand where we recruit patients and how we recruit patients. I also think it's really important that we not just focus on the diagnosis, pop into a community, recruit for a trial, and then leave. We really have to make sure that we're not only recruiting patients, but we give those patients access to the highest quality, state-of-the-art diagnosis and treatment options in their local community, that they don't have to travel to a larger city or a big academic center to have access to those.
1: We know that improving diversity in clinical trials will yield benefits for underrepresented groups, but how does increasing diversity benefit the entire healthcare system, Dr. Puckman?
2: One of the easiest ways to learn is through heterogeneity. If you're looking at a single population, you might miss some of those variations. And so by having a diverse trial, it raises the possibility of you learning something, either falsely or positively, that might escape your notice.
1: And now that we know the ways to be more intentional, can you tell us why diversity in the clinical trials are essential
0: That depends. Participants in clinical trials have to represent the patients that will use medical products. When it's not the case, we can't really provide an informed consent to the patients because we don't know what the risks and benefits will be for a patient just like them. So when I can look a patient in the eye and say a percentage of a population study looks like you or comes from your community, It builds my patient's confidence in embarking on that treatment or tests. I think we often assume that outcomes are differentiated in a poor way, but some of the successful treatment modalities that we're currently using, for instance, for COVID 19, really first demonstrated their benefits when reducing the need for mechanical ventilation in patients. When we specifically looked at minority, racial, and ethnic groups in studies like the IMPACTA trial, clinical trials are often not quick endeavors. We bring up these sites in local communities, and that's really a long-term investment in that community, developing relationships with researchers who then on the back end will bring cutting-edge treatments to the patients who live there and make sure that they're receiving the highest level of care.
1: Doctor, could you tell us that when these trials are done with underrepresented groups, it does help all of society, the entire healthcare system, does it not?
0: Well, keep in mind that we're living in a society that more and more doesn't fall into strict buckets of race and ethnicity. Far more of us are of mixed ethnic race then we are falling into the classic buckets. So as we look towards the future, you know, not just 2022 and beyond, I think it's really important that the diversity is in our trials so that diverse patients really know what to expect from these treatments.
1: Because of the lack of diversity in clinical trials, research results may not be appropriate for all populations so that's something we should all care about especially those of us that are in the medical field and those of us that are leaders in the local communities the fact is cancer kills it's too early to know the actual number but last year it was estimated that more than six hundred thousand people would die from cancer We've already heard some sobering statistics, but now I want to dig a little deeper. What is the evidence that most clearly demonstrates the extent of disparities in outcomes for cancer patients, Dr. Puckering?
2: I always go to survival rates. When we look at survival rates across most of the major cancers for minority populations, African-Americans specifically, they are less likely to survive over five years, of they are diagnosed late in cancer. And again, those are not new statistics. Those statistics have been around for a long time. And if we decided to, we could actually do something about those numbers.
0: And Dr. Kurz, what is your opinion on that issue? So if I want to think about looking at the data in terms of demonstrating disparities of outcomes for cancer patients, It's not very hard, and you can look all across the cancer spectrum and see that time and time again. Lung cancer, people don't think about it, but it's the biggest cancer killer of women. And Black Americans with lung cancer are 18% less likely to be diagnosed early, 23% less likely to receive surgical treatment, 9% more likely not to receive any treatment at all, and 21% less likely to survive five years compared to white Americans. As an OBGYN, I'm very passionate about cervical cancer, which really should be largely preventable, secondary to the HPV vaccine. The vast majority, well over 90% of cervical cancer is HPV mediated. And it's the second most common type of cancer in women aged 15 to 44. Black and Hispanic women have higher rates of HPV-associated cancer than women of other races and non-Hispanic women. And despite having similar rates of breast cancer, Black women are more likely than white women to die of the disease. So you can almost pick any cancer of your choice and find statistics like this. The outcomes that we are seeing clearly demonstrate the disparity.
1: I think it's also important to highlight the fact that people with low incomes or those without health insurance or transportation to health clinics miss out on cancer screenings. According to the NCI, these people are unlikely treated according to guidelines than those who don't encounter such obstacles. And that's what you've said to us. I wanna ask as an elected public official, I'm interested in knowing the steps that state legislatures can take to help address disparities in outcomes for cancer patients. Dr. Coons, let's start with you on that one.
0: You know, I certainly would say always keep your eye open for efforts towards early detection of cancers in these populations, like Dr. Puckerin was saying, before they're clinically symptomatic. There are tests that are starting to be able to pick up cancer. Efforts that are increasing the rates of regular screening in populations, which means that we bring screening initiatives to the patient more and more often, as opposed to having the patient come to us. That may be self-sampling, that may be patients observed, collecting specimens on their own. I'm excited to see what will happen with Cures 2.0 specifically in the initiatives in it to require more diversity in clinical trials in new drugs and treatments. As we've said, it's more expensive, but if we require it, I think we will see a greater uptake in diversity in our clinical trials. And also providing patients more information about the illnesses they face and the treatment options that are available to them to make sure that they're more of an integral, as you said earlier, empowered part of the decision-making process.
1: And Dr. Parkman, with your organization, what do you think the steps that you think could be taken to help address these disparities in the outcomes for cancer patients?
2: So for public officials, I think I would say, first off, because of a large enrollment in Medicare and Medicaid, they're the trustees of those programs. And so they have the capacity to help design those programs through the legislation and the policies that they enact. And they can ask the question about outcomes. Frequently, the question is asked about cost, but the question about outcomes is not always on the table. And I think if they start to ask outcomes and chart those outcomes over time, they can put pressure and build a system that really addresses these disparities. It really starts with them because that is where the money gets allocated and the resources are identified. And I would just encourage them to be imaginative, to not just look at how we've done things in the past, but try to understand how can we really build a healthcare system that makes sure that everybody who comes through the front door gets optimal care.
1: Dr. Kunz, are there any innovative programs in place to deal with the lack of diversity in clinical trials that state legislators should know about and support?
0: With my lens of being involved at Roshan Genentech, I think there's a really interesting advancing inclusive research site alliance that is a coalition of clinical research sites that will partner with Roshan Genentech to advance the representation of diverse populations in our companies' oncology clinical trials, test recruitment, retention approaches, and really help to establish best practices that can be levered across the diagnostics and pharmaceuticals industry to help achieve health equity for all people with cancer.
1: And Dr. Pochran, do you know of any innovative programs that are in place to deal with the lack of diversity in clinical trials
2: that state legislators could refer to. I'm going to talk about two programs that the National Minority Quality Forum has launched. One is called the Alliance for Representative Clinical Trials. It came out of a conversation and some work that we did with Janet Woodcock, who's commissioner at FDA, and the basic idea was to train community clinicians to be PIs in clinical trials so that those trials can happen literally in minority communities where the clinician is trusted. Fairly qualified health clinics, for example, could play a very, very important role in there. Um, So we are, are starting to train community clinicians to undertake clinical trials. And then the other program we call cancer stage shifting. We talked a lot about today the late diagnosis. Of minority populations with cancer. With new technology that's coming on, some of Roach today made some great announcements about these multi cancer early detection screenings that opens the door for us to detect cancer at an early stage. And with that new technology coming on stream, we can make some real differences in the health outcomes for minorities with cancer.
1: And so as we start to wrap up, millions of Americans are getting financial support for their healthcare needs. However, there are many who are not eligible. So what does the role of payors like Medicaid, Medicare, and private payers play in combating both the disparity in outcomes for cancer patients and the lack of participation of diverse
2: populations in clinical trials? Dr. Puckery. I'm going to remind everyone of actually the words that were written early in the Declaration of Independence. We talk about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Actually, the first words was conservation of life. That's a role that government has to play. And if it plays that role in understanding that what it's really trying to do is help Americans mitigate their risk. I think they can transform our healthcare system and really prepare us for what I think is possibly some exciting new innovations that are going to be available to us in the 21st century.
1: And Dr. because what roles do you think that they would play in combating the disparity outcomes for cancer patients?
0: I think overall, we need to work towards a state in this country where there's more consistent access to health insurance for patients throughout their lifetime. We've certainly seen this conversation in the obstetrics community in the last year, as we've talked about expanding the length of Medicaid coverage after pregnancy. But I think it's a universal for us in the US if we wanna tackle these issues head on. I think as we said earlier, we need to see more trials enrolling in safety net hospitals, so the hospitals where much more of the coverage is through Medicaid and Medicare than through private payers. And I think when we see innovative assays and drugs come to the market, there's often a lag between when some of the commercial payers cover them and when Medicaid and Medicare cover them. And I think we need to partner to figure out what is the cause of those gaps, and really try to shorten that interval,
1: Dr. Kunz and Dr. Puckering? Thank you so much for taking the time and sharing your thoughts on this very important topic. It has been just so interesting. And before we go, do either of you have any final words that you would like to share?
0: As much as we have seen through the COVID nineteen pandemic. The health of your neighbor really does affect the health of you. It's one thing if you don't have COVID, but you then go and have a heart attack, but there's not a bed in your hospital because it's overrun by COVID. And I really hope that we bring that lesson forward and think about it, not just in acute settings like a pandemic, but across the board in all issues of health we really do need to focus on making sure that the health system looks like the patients who are getting cared for in the health system and that we try to raise the bar for all patients regardless of their race or ethnic background when they interface with the healthcare system so that the outcomes that we see are much more uniform and equitable that's
2: a I would just remind public officials that they play a very, very unique role in our healthcare system. The nature and character of it really starts with them, and they can do so much to improve the health of not just minority populations, but the health of the American community. I would strongly urge that they follow the science. That is the best tool that we have to address the issues that are in front of us, but certainly to understand their role in our healthcare system is really important.
0: When it's the science and not the politics, <laughs> a lot of good happens.
2: <laughs> it, it, it's always about the science.
0: Thank you again so much, Dr.
1: Kunz and Dr. Puckrin. Cancer disparities exist for a multitude of reasons, all of which have an effect on screenings, stage of diagnosis, treatment, mortality, and survival. Starting today, we can work toward change and help deliver better patient outcomes for cancer patients, no matter what their race, ethnicity, or socioeconomic factors. I'd like to thank you for listening to our latest episode. Don't forget to subscribe to, like, or share our podcast. You can also connect with us by visiting womeningovernment.org.
0: You've been listening to the Women in Government podcast, a resource made available for those interested in discussing important issues and policies of the day. For more information, please visit our website at womeningovernment.org.